Welcome back to Stories from the Ashes, where we pontificate on good books and the stories that define and refine us. I'm Amber, and I'm here with Amanda and Nancy Kelly, who many of you know as a Charlotte Mason mentor on Sage Parnassus. Thank you so much for being here, Nancy. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Nancy, I know you through the Charlotte Mason world, and that's where you first came across my radar, but you have a ton of book recommendations on your website, and specifically, you have a PDF of over 150 recommended Christmas books. So that's what we're going to focus on today, but we would love to get to know you a little bit more. So we ask people three of their favorite or most influential books. Yeah. And you know, that's an impossible question for me, right? I know. (laughs) So you should just tack on the words today at the end of that three of your favorite books today. (laughs) There you go. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, of course it's the Bible a hundred percent. And if you want to get more specific with a book, I would say the book of John. And if you want to get more specific, you could say scale how meditations uh, by Charlotte Mason, um, because the book of John um, and her meditations kind of have shown me who Jesus is. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, that would probably be the first one. And then I'd have to say Charlotte Mason's six volumes because I've just spent the past 28 years of my life following the philosophy of education and the philosophy of life. So beyond those things. Wait, um, before you move on. Yeah. Which one of Charlotte Mason's volumes is your favorite, do you think? Probably volume four. Ourselves. Okay. Yeah. I, be, because I've walked through that with my children. And, yeah. You know, so it's just really special to me. And I love it. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, very relatable and accessible, I think. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. And then if we're going to head into the realm of fiction, I'd say uh, the first one I would say would be the book Sir Gibby by George MacDonald. Um, so this was the first book that actually made me cry. Mm-hmm. Um, I read it about 30 years ago and it, I read it with the, um, Doric dialect of Scotland. You know, I, I left it, I read the original and, um, the scene in there, there is a particular scene where Gibby is brutally punished for something he, for the good that he had done. And it affected me so deeply. And I, this is, I have to say this. I don't know that I had ever wept over Christ's sacrifice for me on the cross, mm-hmm. but since I've read that book, I've mm-hmm. wept many, many times. Oh, wow. Just, yeah. It was super powerful for me. Um, and then of course I went on to read much more of George MacDonald and he's a favorite. Um, but it was the first book to make me cry. Also, I also remember reading it. And being able to identify without anybody telling me or anything that Gibby was a Christ figure in the book. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking to myself, wow, I can figure that out on my own. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> then I started doing that all the time with different books. So anyway, that's a pretty big one for me. Um, I also then read it out loud with the original dialect to my kids and um, you know, we we had a very can-do attitude about it, and we loved it. We loved trying to decipher what he was saying in certain parts and everything. So anyway, that would be one of them. And then the other one I would mention is um, Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry. Um, first of all, it's Wendell Berry, so there's that. Um, mm-hmm. 
but it it takes place in my mother's generation and my grandmother's generation who both were on farms and then I moved to my husband's small hometown in Wyndham, Minnesota and I'm around all these generational farming families mm-hmm. and I loved the way it helped me kind of understand that dynamic a little bit more but um there was just something about the book that kept drawing me back over the years over and over again and I, I was watching Hannah and I was watching and reading how she lived her life and I was subconsciously taking cues it was like I knew there was something in there for me and I I wasn't sure what it was and um kind of a spoiler alert she her three children leave the farm and I and and, and don't come back and that's heartbreaking to her but I found it so interesting how she handled it now I live in a small town I have six kids nobody's coming back okay yeah (laughs) that kind kind of prepared me for that but in Hannah Coulter there's redemption in an from an unexpected place and I'm not kidding because I got this I was started thinking about this book um, because you asked me you know to mention these uh, influential titles and I'm not kidding I'm thinking through these issues once again. And yesterday, just yesterday, I got a phone call from one of my children who may be moving back. And my oh. mind was blown. <laughs> and wow. I it is wow. And it's just like, thank you, God. And I don't know if it'll actually happen, but I know how to handle it. I'm gonna yeah. handle it like Anna. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So I just I mean, I read it when I just had little kids and I read it about four times since and it just means a lot to me. I, I just know there's things in there for me. And yesterday kind of proved that. So yeah. Yeah. That is beautiful. If you were starting with Wendell Berry, is that where you would start or would you start with something else? I've never read any. I think it's a great place to start. Yeah. Whenever I see conversations, it's definitely one of the top three recommendations for places to start that I've seen people do. That's lovely. How exciting to have someone possibly moving home. (laughs) Well, at least in the area, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, says that they're all six all over all over the world right now, uh, but two of them mm-hmm. haven't aren't married, so they haven't settled down to one place. So who knows? Who knows what? Will yeah, happen. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know that you love Christmas books, and I'm wondering if you know why they're so special to you, and and could share that. I can't always verbalize why I love things as much as I do. <laughs> You're more articulate than I am, so maybe you can. (laughs) I know about that. Yeah, so um, what do I love about Christmas books? Well, Christmas books are a tradition in our home, Mm -hmm. and I have not been the greatest with typical traditions. I'm not a great cook. I can't do a nice table setting, but I can do books. And so right away, I started collecting them. and. I hold on to this quote from Edith Schaefer. Can I share that with you? Absolutely. Yes, please. She says there, this is about traditions, right? She says, there is something about saying we always do this, which helps keep the years together. Time is such an elusive thing that if we keep on meaning to do something interesting, but never do it, year would follow year with no special thoughtfulness being expressed in making gifts, surprises, charming table settings, and familiar favorite food. 
Tradition is a good gift intended to guard the best gifts. I love that. That's so true. Yeah. And I mean, particularly this time is an elusive thing. I'm telling you, it is is completely elusive, right? So as I sit here with six having just left the nest. So, um, but like I was saying, I mean, I wasn't good at some, I just don't roll with so many traditions, but you know, I can with books. And so uh, I love that. Um, And uh, the day after Thanksgiving, um, I I store all my Christmas books in this big old hope, hope chest that sits in our parlor. And the day after Thanksgiving, I open it up and we take all the books out and everybody decorates around the house because that's what we decorate with is books, right? Mm-hmm. You understand this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> we open up um, suitcases. Uh, I have these vintage suitcases and we stack them all over on the floor and we line the books up. And we've done this every year after um, Thanksgiving. And then we get to read these books that are different than the books we've been reading all year long, or maybe the books mm-hmm. we've been deep in for school, right? Um, and we add these books to our daily rhythm. And so it brings this bit of beauty, um, mm-hmm. mystery, even magic to our days that maybe have been getting a little long since, you know, if we've been hitting school hard since September. So I yeah. love that Christmas books can do that. Yeah. And I mean, I can go on girls. So, <laughs> well, how do you, how do you incorporate them into your daily life? Mm-hmm. What does that look like in your household? Yeah. So um, they're all out for everybody to take whenever they want and look at, and we decorate with them. However, I will always be reading. I try to pick a lengthier book or a chapter book to be reading every morning in our family gathering time. Um, so we'd be working through that. And then usually for one of the youngers, I would always read a picture book too on top of that. So mm-hmm. we'd work through a longer one um, and it's just incorporated into our, our school day. Mm-hmm. What you were sharing about Nancy, about how these are um, comforting for your family and part of your, your holiday rhythm and tradition. It also makes me think of things that are anchors with you saying how your kids so many of them have left the house. This is something that would be familiar to them. I know that you saw Patty Summers' Instagram post this morning, and she's the wife of John Summers, who we had on, who wrote Zayo's Tales, and they're missionaries in Ghana. If people didn't listen to that episode, and they're back in the States getting their eldest settled in college. And she had shared this morning and said, we're on the move again, and my kids are singing. They started with folk songs, which my eldest swears is a full education in and of themselves but have now moved to Christmas songs. That's usually a no-go in our home before the day after Thanksgiving. But in this case, I know this is a matter of anchoring. We have driven over 2,000 miles in the last 14 days and been in a meeting of some kind for 10 of those 14 days. A rolling stone gathers no moss, but we are not stones. So we seek ways to root. No one can pour out of an empty cup and only a tree planted beside living waters can bring forth fruit. I'm not sure how singing Silent Night in our second language, The Happy Wanderer in English, and Hours in the Car can quiet us. I just know that somehow it will. And I really think that's Christmas books for so many people that anchor. And I know that so many of the traditions around Christmas that I had growing up 
bring the season alive for me now. Mm-hmm. And I, I could see mm-hmm. that in having these shared vernacular books within a family to make people that mm-hmm. aren't able to travel home still feel like they have that that piece of anchoring of home with them as they travel. Absolutely. And that was just a beautiful post by Patty. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now that many of my children are married, I choose, I each, each family gets a Christmas book from me each Christmas so that they can build their libraries. So and I have a list and I keep, and I love doing that. So that's yeah. lovely. Oh, that's lovely. I appreciate this uh, conversation about tradition because a few years ago we moved away from family and then we're always gone at Christmas time. And so I had just given up having a Christmas tree and thought, well, we're just not going to be home anyway. So I just, we just won't have one. And we went for a few years without one and I didn't realize how important that tradition was until I said, well, let's just get one this year. And then it was like, light in my life mm-hmm. like yeah I didn't realize how much I had tied up that I was forgoing by my own choice mm-hmm. and I think those traditions are so important but I love having the books because they're they're portable and right. <laughs> um, you can anchor that traditional feeling to books that's that's a wonderful thing yeah and I I mean a good Christmas book is this has the same characteristics of any good book, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like characters, real interesting. There should be a hint of redemption somewhere in there. It should mm-hmm. beautiful language. And then probably one of the most important things is, I think, is that it shows us the humility of children. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte Mason talks about that it's this humility of children that's key to Christmas books um, and to the actual Mm. Christmas season. Uh, She has a chapter in volume two um, called The Eternal Child, and you have to read it. It's just beautiful as it talks about um, the importance of children and then books to the Christmas season. So, And another thing that makes them so special is, I mean, ultimately all of the stories that we share are because of the story, right? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. our Lord and Savior came to earth as of all things, a baby, right? Mm-hmm. And just the whole mystery of how in the world can this be, right? Yeah. So it's this glorious, mind-tickling, heart-pulling, 100% relatable plot twist in our whole redemption story, and no one will ever get tired of it. It is the never-ending story that we never tire of hearing. Right. I know that's why you see those themes, the salvation theme repeated in stories that aren't Christian over and over and over again, because we will never get tired of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you personally tell the difference between or like what's the, the dividing line for you between a good Christmas book and an overly saccharine or moralistic holiday tale? Yeah. So first of all, I think the children see right through it pretty quickly, <laughs> right? <laughs> they let me know. <laughs> that. And I, I mean, I think there are some rather moralistic tales from the Victorian era that I don't mind. Like I'm thinking of the Bird's Christmas Carol, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I like that. There are some that I like. Um, 
But overall, it, it's the same way as in any other book. The children will see right through it. It's forgettable. You roll your eyes because the lesson was so didactic, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if this story would fall into that category. I know it doesn't for most people, but here's my unpopular opinion. I loathe the story, The Gift of the Magi. Mm. Like there is no more frustrating story <laughs> in my childhood. <laughs> I hate that nothing goes right. I'm like happy for them that they're still happy with each other and think that what happened was this lovely it, it's basically the thought that it's the the thought that counts versus the gift. But I just, it's, it's like watching a train wreck and it does not bring me any of the happy Christmas feelings and it just makes me sad. <laughs> so, so that's my unpopular Christmas book opinion that I know nobody seems to agree with, but. I yeah. agree with it. <laughs> okay. well, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I've got some opinions too about. Well, we'll get to that. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we'll, probably <laughs> yeah, well we're here for your opinion. We're here for it, so go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're going to talk, so one of our my kids' favorite. I asked. I asked all of them when I before uh-huh. I came in here. You know, tell you know, give me your feedback. What were some of your favorites? Things like that. Um, they all loved. Um, and you'll hear this on lists all the time, the best Christmas pageant ever, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because my husband read it to them and it was a tradition that he would read it to them. And granted, there are some really funny things in there for sure. But something about it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't know if it's because we know so many people that are just like that family, right? <laughs> and I mean, what's that term they use now? Poverty tourism. You know, mm. it's like they're making fun of people that we we don't we don't make fun of, right? So, yeah. but that's my mom brain, and you know, my obviously my kids don't feel that way. They think it's great. Yeah. Know? So that one kind mm-hmm. of just makes me go, all right, you can read that one. I'm not going to read that one. So. <laughs> And I know that's a huge traditional one. The other one that kind of freaks me out a little bit is um, I love the ballet. Everybody should go see the ballet. Um, But the Nutcracker, the original story, just a little bit too weird with the uncle and all. Right? (laughs) It is weird. (laughs) Yeah. So those are are my unpopular. um, Yeah. So, yeah. I, I agree. I have yet to find a Nutcracker book that I liked for the story more than I liked for the illustrations. I think there are mm-hmm. so many gorgeously illustrated nutcrackers yeah. and I really like that. And then there was a picture book that I found last year that I'll think of the title of and add to the comments, but it was more of a, how to go to a nutcracker show, more mm-hmm. of walking the kid through the steps of being at the theater and all that. And I really appreciated that one. I thought that was a good one, but yeah, <laughs> the story is very weird. I will say with the Herdmans in the best Christmas pageant ever, I loved that book as a kid. I have not read it to my children because I do think that one of my kids would try to plant a tree in their ear. And I think that there's a lot of unsafe ideas for children that are like, oh, does that really work? Let's try it out. So I have not read it to the boys, but I think I'm going to read it with the girls this year. And one of the things that I appreciated about it was 
that they are very over the top and different from the rest of the school. So I understand what you're saying about the like poverty tourism, but I, I like how the, the narrator's opinion of them changes mm-hmm. throughout it. And I mm-hmm. do also like how it's very clear why they are this way. Like they weren't born this way. This is a lack of nature versus or lack of nurture <laughs> versus nature. They have an absent father. They have a mother who's unintentionally absent because she has to work all the time because there's no second income in the family. And so I I think that the that you're seeing the main character go from just these are just horrible human beings to maybe they're more like me than I thought. And maybe what I have in life is a privilege and has helped me understand these things more. Like I just have a foot up on already understanding the nativity scene and that whole story, whereas they're coming to it completely fresh. And Amanda and I had the privilege of meeting Matali Perkins this weekend. We went out to a, a book signing and had lunch with her. And she was talking about how being from India, when she came to Christianity, she came to it completely fresh. And so her picture book that just came out, The Story of Us, that's trying to talk about the creation story from the viewpoint of someone who didn't grow up hearing it and tying what she knew about the world and creation as an Indian culture into what she now knows from the Bible. And I just, I think that's beautiful. And I I think it relates to the best Christmas pageant ever, but I, I definitely, you are so entitled to your opinion. And I know a lot of people feel the same way and are like, this is not a good book for us. And for me, again, my kid would try to grow a tree out of the year. So (laughs) probably of his sister. Yeah, for sure. And originally, I think part of the reticence was probably the exact thing you're mentioning there, you know, that the kids would want to emulate all these awful yeah. behaviors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Smoking. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I love this. So what books did your kids come back with besides that one that they recalled as their favorites? And how did they line up with what your favorites were? Uh, Yeah, so... Um, they came back with Mousekin's Christmas Eve. My Mm -hmm. um, 19-year-old mentioned Mm -hmm. that. Um, let's see, Forever Christmas by Harry Davis. And that Mm -hmm. is, it's a book about Tasha Tudor. Oh. But in the book, there are pictures of like the snowball lanterns and the gingerbread ornaments that she made. And from looking at the beautiful photography in there and we love Tasha Tudor and I have a whole category of Tasha Tudor Christmas books but from looking at that book they went out and made all sorts of really neat things and so that was inspiring to them neat yes so that's not a traditional one but um my one daughter loved I don't know if you've seen this book before the tall book of Christmas so I've this, always heard of those pictures books. of it but I didn't realize it was yeah. that tall yeah, <laughs> yeah it's tall right so it, um, yeah she loved it. And it's actually a compilation, an anthology of sorts. But there's one story in there that she just went on and on and told me all about again. Granny Glittons and her amazing mittens, which is just <laughs> a funny, dippy story about a grandma who has to make all these mittens, but she runs out of colored yarn, colored wool, 
And so she takes what's in her pantry and heats it all down to make colors to dye the wool so that when she gives the mittens away, the people will eat them. So it <laughs> makes no sense. It kind, of, it kind of gives me that sensory, ooh, why would you chew on wool? You know? But she loved yeah. that story. And so that cracked me up. So that's mm-hmm. that one. Um, and it is, it's a pretty nice anthology, too, on top of that. Um, a Certain Small Shepherd by Rebecca Cottle. Mm-hmm. Favorite. Um, m- many of them mentioned, mentioned Mr. Willoughby's Christmas tree. Um, we love that one. <laughs> keep it off the top, right? Yeah. Um, one of them mentioned the year of the perfect Christmas tree. Do you want me to go on? Because I. Yeah, please okay. do. Yeah. All right. Um, the Tailor of Gloucester, which is also one of my favorites. It was also Beatrix Potter's favorite book that she wrote. Oh, oh really? I didn't yeah. know that. So that's really cool. And it's based on a true event as well as a Christmas legend that the animals start talking at mm-hmm. midnight, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's just, um, it's Beatrix Potter, right? So it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think I'm looking here. Take Joy by Tasha Tudor was another favorite one of just beautiful artwork and then the compilation of all sorts of different poems and scripture and stories um yeah so those were the ones that they mentioned i would add to that well on that night by elizabeth yates is Mm -hmm. a favorite yes and that's based on the legend that on christmas eve lost things are found and so it's about these six people and i really like it and it, it it's a beautiful little book and that's one of my categories of books that I have are miniature books. I have all these miniature Christmas books and I don't know the history of that or anything, but you know, many of them are a hundred years old, but they're anything that's like smaller than yeah. five by seven that fits in your hands. So yeah, I'm interested to see that, that portion of your list because I bought a lot off of eBay mm-hmm. two years ago because I really wanted a grandmother for Christmas, which is mm-hmm. Alta. Uh, what's the rest of her name, Amanda? Seymour. Yeah, Alta Seymour. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite Christmas books is The Grandmother for Christmas. And so I ordered the lot for that book. And when it came, it was like nine books and they were all super tiny. And I wasn't expecting that. And they were so pretty. Uh-huh. But it made me realize there must be a lot of these out there if some one person found nine of them and was able <laughs> yeah, to put them cool. together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and some so. of them were just like really nice Christmas poems that had been mm-hmm. illustrated and bound, and so that would just give you a smaller book in general. But it's a nice way to get those out into publication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was expecting you to bring up one of the Dickens. Oh, uh, well, I, I will do that. But those are so, the classics everyone thinks of. Yeah. <laughs> so I I have four stories that I think should be part of everyone's four Christmas stories that should be part of everyone's home library. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of them, um, Amber hates. uh, (laughs) If for for nothing else, the cultural literacy, right? Yes. No, I agree. I agree. Wait, what one do you hate? The Gift of the Magi. Oh, oh, that one. I was thinking there's another one you hated. Okay, at least it's only one. Just one. Yeah. So I think that's an important story. It's an introduction to O. Henry, which is a fun one to Mm -hmm. read as a teenager, all his works. And um, 
when I was young, and even to this day, it I, I use that expression, it tickles my brain. Because I know what's going to happen, but I don't know what's going to happen. And how's it all going to work out like it does? And so I always liked that. And I've always read it to my kids, particularly the um, one illustrated by Elizabeth Porter. Uh, I love her stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the others would be A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to know that story. And it's a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, Papa Panov's Special Christmas. You might know that as Papa Panov's Special Day or Martin the Cobbler, or Father Martin, um, and Tolstoy uh, translated that from somebody else, and that's just an important story um, that, you know, the love of Christ comes through in that so strongly. Yeah. Um, and then, is that all of them? Oh, wait, wait a minute. There's one more. Hold on. Here it is. The Story of the Other Wise Man. That's mm-hmm. the book by Henry Van Dyke, um, which you might have heard called The Fourth Wise Men. I just, I love that story. I love that, you know, when people take things outside of the biblical narrative and imagine what would happen. And that's Mm -hmm. what happens in this story. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are the four that I think all kids should know. Doesn't have to be their favorites, right? You mentioned going on to read more O. Henry in high school. I did not. That book ruined O. Henry for me. Oh. I have never read anything else by O. Henry. And I keep buying his books because I realize there's cultural importance. And I figure maybe my kids will read them if I don't introduce them to Gift of the Magi <laughs> first. Because I know it would equally frustrate my eldest daughter. Mm-hmm. But do you have an O. Henry that is your favorite? That you're like, oh, if someone hasn't read O. Henry or is starting from scratch with a chip on their shoulder, maybe they should start here. <laughs> Oh, not not a specific one. It's just that I have, you know, whole books of his works and things like that upstairs. Mm-hmm. They're all pretty short. You know, none of them are okay. very long. They all do the same thing. They all have a big twist at the end. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we like to read them. And some of my kids really like to read them because, you know, they want to try to figure that out before they get there. Yeah. And when he surprises them, you're so delighted. Yeah. Didn't see it, didn't see it coming. So. Right. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I will I will give them a try again if they're all short stories and I can get in and get out quickly. <laughs> I got a volume years back of Dickens stories, mm-hmm. Christmas stories, and it had the chimes, the cricket on the hearth, mm-hmm. and the Christmas carol. And I don't know why, but for some reason, the cricket on the hearth is the one that just sticks with me. Okay. And more in feeling than in content, but... Mm-hmm. Feel like someone should read that and tell me why. Yeah, well, that's the thing. This is so subjective, right? What what yeah. are Christmas books? And like, I have on my Christmas book list the story of Peef. I mean, it's a terrible, sappy story, right? But Grandma bought it. Late, their late Grandma bought yeah. it for them, and they remember sitting mm-hmm. on the couch reading it with her. And so it's one of their right. favorite books, right? You know yeah. how you feel about the Christmas book and, and what else the context was when it was read to you. All that factors mm-hmm. into what is a favorite. Oh, thing, yeah. Right. Absolutely. In your favorite books, you listed uh, Sir Gibby, which is George MacDonald. And I don't know if you're familiar. And you said you'd read it in the original, which is incredible. But David Jack has been doing modernization translations of a lot of MacDonald's books over the last few years. And he just... Mm-hmm published a hardcover copy of McDonald's Christmas stories that, oh, it's so pretty. Look at that. 
You got it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I do have it. I'm really excited to read it. Um, and yeah. I really appreciate his work too. Yeah, for sure. Me too. I'm excited for those. Amanda has been talking about Christmas artwork and mm. she was wondering with all the Charlotte Mason artist study, if you had any favorite art pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I, those of, those of us who do the Charlotte Mason method and I suppose some other methods, but you're going to have favorite Christmas time um, paintings that you love because you're going to be studying mm -hmm. them over and over again over the years. And so um, but I do have some favorites. Um, Henry Azawa Tanner's uh, The Annunciation is one of my favorites. Um, mm. And then another one is his flight into Egypt. And mm -hmm. I was just at the Met about a month ago and I got to stand in front of it and wow. take in the amazing beauty of that. Uh, so he is a favorite, but and along, I, I, I have a lot under, under the Annunciation, but um, uh, Dante Gabriel Rossetti um, has an the Annunciation, um, and I like that one too. Mm -hmm. And I I like looking at all the pictures from the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, um, anything that they did around Christmas time, because I think that's so they're so so beautiful. And then I would say the Adoration of the Shepherds by Rembrandt. So those are probably my four favorites. Um, but I have. Um, art books too to recommend also along those lines um, yeah I wanted to talk oh great I want to see those yeah so um, one is called the art of advent a painting a day from advent to epiphany by Jane Williams and um, it's a small oh. book but really well done um, little commentary and little um, uh, like a devotional kind of that goes with the painting and it's a smaller book so that one's really, really good. Um, there's The Glorious Impossible by Madeline LaEngle, which of course- We love that one. Mm -hmm. yeah, that one. yeah, so that's accompanied by LaEngle's retelling. Um, so, mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. It's all the artwork of Giotto, of course. And then um, another one that I think is really good and really beautiful, but some people weren't comfortable with it, interestingly enough, is called- um, Wounded in Spirit, Advent Art and Meditations by David Bannon. And it's a beautiful book and it's larger and the devotions and the commentary that go with each beautiful picture are wonderful. Um, but it's about the suffering and the hurt that mm -hmm. occurs around this time of year for many people. and. You know, it, it it's just showing that life is not all warm, fuzzy, happy Christmas. There was right. life was going on, is going on. Yeah. It's not uh, easy breezy for everybody. And I just, I thought it was profound and I really enjoyed it. Um, But a lot of people were like, well, I feel like this book is a downer or whatever. I'm like, no, it's a beautiful book. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's important. My mother really struggles with holidays sometimes and it's, on some sort of, it's it's not like specific negative memories, I don't think, but it's just, there's just some negative feelings and it's, mm -hmm. it's not, holidays are not necessarily easy for everyone. So even if they are easy for you, it's really helpful to understand that they're not always easy for other people and just be sen sensitive to that. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think of when my, when my dad passed away, one of the best advice or knowledge that we were given was that all the firsts would be the Mm. hardest. And so the first of everything that we did without him was going to be really hard. And the first Christmas was definitely the Mm. hardest Christmas as a family that we've had. And then um, my grandfather actually passed away on Christmas day with in the home with all of us there waiting and knowing it was going to happen. So Christmas was a really hard holiday for our family for about five years as we were just processing through what that day represented and what it meant. Cause Christmas was my dad's favorite holiday. So we always went all out for Christmas and mm-hmm. I think we're finally getting into a rhythm again as a family. I, I would say it took eight years. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a lot of grace to be given for people in, in a ton of different situations that Christmas isn't just lollipops and gumdrops mm-hmm. for everyone. Yeah. But I just became aware of this two weeks ago about art. And we went on a little family getaway with Eric's parents to Galena, Illinois, which is right on the river. And it's a gorgeous river town except the river's almost like a small lake at this point because they mm-hmm. did really bad land care when they were in their boom. And so the river filled in. But there's a mansion there called the Belvedere Mansion. And I'm not going to get into the history of the Belvedere Mansion, but it's very Civil War oriented and it's a very incredible story. And uh, General Grant lived in... Galena as well and announced he wasn't running for a third time for the presidency from one of the hotels there. So it's a very historic town. But the Belvedere was purchased in the 60s by two gentlemen who turned it into a bed and breakfast and they were art collectors. And so there's so much of their collections in this house. It's it is a museum. It's absolutely a historical museum and their collection is very wide and varied. They have this in the dining room. They have this light fixture, the chandelier and some other lights. And the tour guide was talking about how they had looked at a house up in Dubuque that they were thinking of purchasing to also be a bed and breakfast. And it had this chandelier in it. And the owner of the house The house was decrepit. The house was going to die, but they wanted this chandelier. And so they went to the owner and they were like, hey, we'd like we'd like to offer to buy the chandelier from you. And the owner, thinking that he was going to outsmart them, was like, you cannot buy this chandelier from me. You have to buy the house and then you can have the chandelier as part of it. And they were savvy businessmen and they're like, oh, okay, I'll buy the house for this really cheap price that you're selling it for. (laughs) So they took the chandelier, which is this chandelier and five different sconces out. It's valued at 1.5 million. It's an original one of a kind Tiffany. (laughs) So they totally like, they just put the thing and demolished the house and sold the lot. But this house is incredible. But we went upstairs and they, the whole wall going from the bottom of the second floor up to the top of the third floor. And it's this like spirally staircase. So all the way around the wall is Christian artwork, like historically significant Christian artwork. And I guess somebody had made this huge collection of it and donated it to a museum 
a small museum and the small museum realized it was outside their scope to restore some of these pieces. And so it had just been in storage forever. And then this museum reached out to the Belvedere and they were like, Hey, are you interested in this? And the Belvedere is like, yes, we will restore your art for you. So they're restoring two pieces a year, but there's a piece that's by Raphael's student signed by the student and Raphael of one of Mm -hmm. Raphael's pieces. And so there's just all this and it's, you know, so much of it would be considered Christmas art because it's baby Jesus and his -hmm. parents. And it's just beautiful, all these pieces. And I just stood there and I was like, this is the end of the tour. And they kind of rush you through this, but I just want to come and stand here for a few hours and just stare at these pieces. So if you're looking for a good tour that includes Christian art that is significant to (laughs) the world, the Belvedere Mansion in Galena is the place to go. So it's the largest collection. I don't know if I said this. It's the largest connection collection in the United States of oh, Christian okay. artwork. So I am definitely yeah. going. Thank you for yeah. bringing that up. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It just blew my mind, all the stuff that they had there. I went because I wanted to be in the same room as Teddy Roosevelt's <laughs> furniture. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. So when we came out, Eric was like, are you satisfied having seen his couch? I was like, yeah, but like now I'm focused on this artwork. Wow. That's really cool. I, I, I can't wait to check that out. So speaking of um, Christmas art, one of my categories that I have on my book list is um, um, art books that use scripture as the only narrative. Mm, mm-hmm. And this combines both of those the metropolitan museum of art the christmas story is just gorgeous this is i think 1966 um but uh we would read on christmas morning um just the scripture and a book you know like one of these there's a couple on my list but so this one is just beautiful though and i highly recommend that one that's lovely i love art books i'm glad amanda asked that question (laughs) it wouldn't have occurred to me Figure Nancy would be a great person to ask. <laughs> yes. Well, and here's another one that has a lot of art in it because it's from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And this is a new book. And I didn't read it with my family, but it came the other day and it is gorgeous. It is called The Metropolitan Museum of Art Christmas is Coming. Celebrate the holiday with art stories, poems, songs, and recipes. And it has um, full um, full page spreads of some beautiful artwork. And yeah, like here's the flight into mm. flight into Egypt, which mm-hmm. took my breath oh. away once again. And um, the choices of the the selections that they made for this is just they're just fantastic, and there's songs, and it's a beautiful book. So if you want a new, so one, would you say it's primarily uh, Christian based? Then no, it's the Met- Metropolitan Museum of Art. So it would have a bunch of Santa paintings and whatnot, too. No, it doesn't have a bunch. It doesn't have a bunch. Just some. I don't mind some. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think you'd love it. (laughs) Okay. It looked beautiful when you were flipping through it. So the art study would definitely be a Charlotte Mason-based question. And I guess a follow-up one would be mother culture, which is a very beautiful Charlotte Mason thing. Do you have any mother culture Christmas-based book recommendations for us? Yeah, I have a couple um, that I think are delightful. Um, And one of them is The Man Who Invented Christmas, How Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol Rescued His Career and Revived Our Holiday Spirits. I love that book. 
I didn't know it was a book. Amanda and I took our girls to the movie of that. I had no idea. Yeah, the book is really good. And I read the book. Oh, now I gotta read it. Yeah. 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 So by Les Standiford. And then this one I haven't read in about five years. And I pulled it back out as I was getting ready for this. And I am in love all over again. <laughs> all you moms need to read this. And you can start now because it takes you through Advent up to it culminates in a Christmas Day sermon. And that is The Dean's Watch by Elizabeth Moon. <gasps> So I love her. If you have it and you like her, uh, even if you don't, dig it out and read (laughs) it. It's slow to start. It's you. You have to keep moving through it, and then about halfway through, you will be so hooked on the characters Mm -hmm. and rooting for them and learning so much about love and humility and beauty. Um, Yes, the Dean's Watch by Elizabeth Gouge. You should read that. All mothers. I've been wanting to read a book by her all year because Amanda keeps recommending them on the podcast and in our conversations raving about them. So maybe I'll start with that one going into the Yeah, I haven't read that one. I didn't. So it, so would you say it is a Christmas book or it just lends itself to being a Christmas book? Well, I don't know that I'd call it a Christmas book, but it takes place at Christmas time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Therefore, um, right. Okay. You, you get all the beauty and um, tradition, holiday season. So is it a short time frame? Because I feel like most of her books kind of take place over a long time frame. Yeah, like years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a while, but I'm excited to read it again, and I see all my underlining, and mm-hmm. I even have a friend that wrote me a couple pages of commonplace from it and handed it to me and yeah so super excited oh that's awesome that's great so speaking of christmas time then are do you have any favorite chapter books that have christmas chapters or scenes in them i always think of the little women and how there's such a a heavy emphasis on the christmas time period in Mm -hmm. that book but i wouldn't consider it a christmas book just a good Christmas scene. Do you have other favorites that have good Christmas scenes? Um, Well, there's Little House in the Big Woods, right? Mm -hmm. Um, By Laura Ingalls Wilder. And I mean, what child can't, can not be influenced by the simplicity and humility of that Christmas? So there's that, of course. (laughs) Yeah, all of it. Yeah. Um, The Wind in the Willows has the scene where, um, um, Mole invites Ratty over, and then the little carolers, the field mice who come and carol. So that's just one chapter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe a little bit different. There's a book that I really like called Corey's Christmas Memories, which is by Corey Ten Boom. Mm-hmm. And in it, she talks about it, it's a beautiful book. It has four sections in it, and so that's she talks about their their Christmases and in, in some of it. But that's a little different. Qu- answer than what you were looking for and the other one particularly for moms that I recommend is called the Christmas book by Elizabeth Gouge and it's all of the Christmas chapters from all of her book not all of her books from a lot of her books in one book um so you can get a good hit of Elizabeth Gouge that one's called that's called a Christmas book by Elizabeth that's brilliant I think more people should do that Yeah, it's kind of helpful, isn't it? Yes, yeah. if you want to follow a theme. 
I do like that. I want to recommend a book real quick just while I'm thinking about it. So I've been reading a ton of picture books this year, and this is following the theme of a series that we've been recommending. So we've been recommending the Maple and Willow books, and we did an episode where we specifically talked about Maple and Willow apart, but this one is Maple and Willow's Christmas Tree, and I really like it because it takes on an issue that I have not seen in Christmas books before. And that is people who are allergic to Christmas trees. And that's a real thing. And so this is a really allergy friendly book that Lori Nichols has written. And Maple is allergic to the tree that they bring home. And so they have to put the tree outside. And uh, Willow's a little bitter about it, which I think is very real. Like Maple apologizes for being allergic to the tree. And Willow's like, yeah well, you should be sorry for ruining Christmas too. <laughs> and then just, just, you know, which is a very little like three or four year old response to your mm-hmm. hope deferred. You bring the Christmas tree home, you decorate it. And now all of a sudden the tree's in the backyard and all the decorations are back in the box and you just feel like the holiday is not going to happen. But it's beautifully illustrated. And I love, <laughs> I love the look on her face as her allergies are setting in. And her eyes are are puffing up and, you know, Willow's just happily jumping around and has no care in the world. But it, it ends beautifully like they all do with Willow realizing her reaction was not correct and finding a way to make amends with her sister. It says that night Willow couldn't fall asleep. Willow felt sad about the Christmas tree, but she felt even worse for hurting Maple's feelings. And then a way that they come together and find a way to have a a Christmas tree inside anyway. So I think that there's just so many families that deal with allergies and there's a lot of emphasis on protecting the person who has the allergies, but you don't really look at how it affects the people who are making sacrifices as well to protect that person. So I really thought that this book did an amazing job at showing respect for both sides and highlighting how both sides could be feeling and how it's it's valid, but how are we going to treat the people that we love who are so greatly inconveniencing us? I love that. That's great. It's just such a beautiful series. So it's up to four books. And I really hope that Laurie Nichols keeps writing them. (laughs) They're all wonderful. (laughs) So um, real quick, I mean, there's hundreds of books, of course, that we haven't mentioned here on this podcast. Um, But one of the things that uh, that is in my list is I have favorite collections. Um, And Mm -hmm. So one of those collections is Good King Wenceslas titles. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been a family favorite. And we try to find as many, I think we have eight. Um, but another one is the Christmas Around the World books by an author you already mentioned, Amber Alta Halverson Seymour. Yes. My kids have loved those. They're a little mm-hmm. snappy, but my kids have, they they really enjoyed those. So um, yeah, they're great. Something about Christmas time, you can handle a little more yeah, sappiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think we all hope for a little sappiness in our Christmas time. <laughs> but yes, those yeah. have all been brought back into print by Purple House Press, so those are available again, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. 
I know that uh, I didn't ask you ahead of time anything about this, but I was wondering if you have any Christmas programs that your family enjoys listening to at all. I know that those have always been really big for our family. What do you mean by programs? So storytelling around Christmas. Do you Have you ever heard of Jungle Jam and Friends, the radio show? My kids were raised on those. I know. So three wise men <laughs> and a baby. Have you heard three Ooh, wise men and a baby? So I that would be Christmas storytelling. Yeah. I love three wise men and a baby. My favorite scene is where, well, there's a couple of favorite scenes, but there's one where they come to the inn and they ask yeah. if there's a room and the innkeeper's like, no, try the place down the street. And they're like, we did try the place down the street. And he's like, and? And they're like, they, he, they had a sign that said, no room. And he's like, what? And their signs are bigger than mine. There's no room at the end. No room. (laughs) They're just, they're really funny, but they have the shepherds in the field and they are figuring out how, how long it would take to walk their flock around the world backwards. And so the one shepherd's like, have you ever thought about how long it would take to walk this flock around the world backwards? And the other shepherd goes backwards? Yes, backwards. No, as if he thought about how long it would take to do it frontwards. So there's just all this comedy that all ages love. And so we just we loved Three Wise Men and a Baby. And I found a place that you can buy the downloads online. And so we put a link to that. Yes, I will add a link to the show notes for that one. And then we found a new one in the last couple of years. Michael Tinker does um, like adventure albums that have music in them. And so he did The King Has Arrived. And it's, it's very reminiscent to me of Pigs in Space, like the Muppets Pigs in Space, which is, you know, a riff off of Star Wars and Star Treks and all that. And so they're on this adventure through space and they end up with a time machine and they go back to the first Christmas where population earth too. And one of the characters is like, how can this be the beginning of the Christmas story? And so they just, they tell the whole Christmas story and they tell it through song. And so they, they share a little bit about it. And then there's these songs that are just so beautiful. And Michael sent us the, um, pre-release of this right after our fire because he was going to release it that Christmas and we just listened to it on repeat and it was such a balm for our soul to hear these true tellings of the hope that we have and the redemption and the rescuing that is available to us and so that was really good when our our world felt very unstable and crumbling but it's also comedic and in that slapstick kind of funny way. So we, we love the King has arrived and three wise men and a baby. And I'll put links to mm-hmm. those in the show notes. And uh-huh. We're going to actually yeah, have a, I mean, a little episode with Michael in a few weeks where he's going to talk about the King has arrived more, which will be a lot of fun. But I was just wondering if you had any others in your repertoire. No, I mean, and really my thinking right now was just on, books yeah but, I mean and we could mm-hmm. have we could have a whole thing on movies Christmas movies mm-hmm. and all of that but um and I think of like old Wheeler's Tchaikovsky and the Nutcracker um yeah you know and and Shakespeare's Twelfth Night and other things like that but I, I don't have any recordings right now off the yeah. top of my head that I, can recommend. I just I am just glad to meet somebody else who knows about Jungle Jam and Friends the radio show because it's such oh, a man. shame that when they stopped airing them on the radio they just kind of like 
went into the shadows and they're so funny. It's so they are hilarious. They really, they should bring them back. Yeah. Could, well, the, all the downloads are available. Them. They're they're available online on their website. So I will definitely link to that in the show notes. Perfect. So. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. Did you have any other books on your list that we hadn't gotten to that you wanted to make sure we covered? Well, thank you for having me. It's been a delight talking about one of my favorite things, Christmas books. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, there's probably about 140 more on my list. (laughs) But, you know, time time is an issue. Yes. I do think of the Marguerite DeAngeli books, um, Mm. Tricky for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Wine in the Box and Mm -hmm. dozens more. We read that for the first time last year. Did you? Did you like it? The Lion in the Box, yeah. Yeah, we liked it. It wasn't my ultimate Christmas book, but I, I did like it. We liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good start. I think we mentioned enough things to get people, you know. Yeah. Them. Oh, I know. I was going to say this. I'm reading this one. Have you ever read this one, The Box of Delights? Uh-uh. No. It's by John Macefield in, I don't know, 1930s, I think. It, it's been highly recommended. I think it was on um, a couple book lists that I've seen. A chapter book takes place in Great Britain, mm-hmm. of course, and um, about halfway through, I'm I'm not I don't know what I think of it so far. Yeah, I'll let you know. Interesting. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Nancy, and we will link in the show notes to your very generous PDF of over 150 Christmas titles mm-hmm. that you have come across and loved in your career here and. We will also just link to Sage Parnassus for people that are more interested in Charlotte Mason and getting to understand more of the philosophy and to see some other wonderful book recommendations that you have in your um, your teaching schedule and where they can find you in different conferences throughout the year. And remember, everyone, the stories are truer than true. Mm-hmm.